Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation so we can grow in our relationship with God. Tonight we're going to look into the Bible and the other. And you may be wondering, Bill, aren't you in Exodus? Yes, I am still in Exodus. This is part of a break from Exodus because the next time I go back into Exodus, it's crossing the Red Sea. That's going to happen on the last Sunday of September. And I am so glad about that. It's my privilege to do that, and I'm so glad to be bringing this part of the scripture because it lends itself to an evangelical message better than most Old Testament scriptures do, in my opinion. And uh, so please do mark that date. It would be a good date to bring somebody with you who does not know Jesus as their savior. They will hear the gospel uh, for sure. Well, you always hear the gospel here. But um, that's going to be a special focus of, um, the, um, of what I'm talking about. And, uh, you know, last time I got a, had a chance to speak at church, I had to actually, I wrote the prayer right down and I had it right here because I was afraid that if somebody comes up that I'd freeze and forget it. So I'll probably do that again. But tonight we're going to talk about the Bible and the other. And the first thing that you will wonder is what is the other? Okay, and I'm going to speak about it in reference to me, but for you, it's going to be different because you are different from me. The other is a group of people who I may not understand really well. The other is a group of people that maybe I understand, but there are things about them I don't like, or maybe it's a group of people that I've heard things about growing up, and I I have some ideas about them that were placed in my head by somebody else. And therefore, I have some opinions that were not originally mine. Could be somebody from a certain country. Could be a language group. Could be the color of of the skin or not. Could be somebody who looks a lot like I do, but has a completely different worldview, a worldview so foreign to me that I'm having trouble dealing with it. And I'm willing to believe the worst um, that I could hear or see uh, about that group of people. So that's the Bible and the other, and the Bible does have a lot to say about the other. I'm also going to be, in addition to scripture, I'm going to be going into some history, uh, American history, that involves the Christian church and evangelical Christians. And also... um, in the last century, about 100 years ago, I'm going to have a picture, and at that point, I'm going to try to remember to ask you to brace yourselves for it. But let's begin by going to Exodus, which is where we start. And just to review, the other is, um, depends on who you are. It could be a different race, ethnic group, nationality, language, culture group, even a geographical region. And by that I mean 
here we are in New Jersey, it could be somebody from Louisiana or somebody from Montana or somebody from California. And the other is a very old idea. We go back to Exodus, chapter 1, 7 to 17. But the children of Israel were fruitful and increased abundantly, multiplied and grew exceedingly mighty, and the land was filled with them. Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. And he said to his people, Look, the people of the children of Israel are more and mightier than we. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply. And it happened in the event of war that they might also join our enemies and fight against us and so go up out of the land. Therefore they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with their burdens, and they built for Pharaoh supply cities, Pithom and Ramses. But the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied and grew, and they were in dread of the children of Israel. So the Egyptians made the children of Israel serve with rigor. They made their lives bitter with hard bondage in mortar, in brick, and in all manner of service in the field. All their service in which they made them serve was with rigor. Now, in the middle there, Pharaoh says, look, the people of the children of Israel are more and mightier than we. Do I believe that? No. But maybe he did. Uh, By this time, the children of Israel were a sizable minority community in Egypt. They had been there for at least 300 years at this point. And yet, they were viewed by the Egyptians as a group of people completely separate and to be feared after 300 years. So Pharaoh had a plan to make them slaves. Uh, It speaks of making them serve with rigor. That means that they were slaves and they had had muscle. They had taskmasters, people with whips, people with clubs to make them do what was necessary. They they were making building materials for the cities um, and doing work in the field for them. It was hard labor. The only thing worse was the mines. The mines is where you sent people if you wanted them to die. Um, And in spite of that, the children of Israel were multiplying because God was blessing them. But the Egyptians considered the children of Israel the other, a people different from them, a people to be feared. And was this founded? Well, not directly. But there was a group of people called the Hyksos. They came in at some time in the past, from the same area, uh, what's been called Canaan, and from a similar ethnic group to the Jews, not exact, but close enough to them, they considered everyone from that area to be Asiatics. Now the Hyksos came in little by little and they settled in around the capital. And then during a week period of Egyptian government, they sort of came in and took over at the top kind of like a coup. 
And at, by this time, they were speaking Egyptian themselves, and so they just kept, they came and they took the, the uh, somebody took the robes of the pharaoh, and then others took uh, the mantles of the different um, royal family and leaders of the country, and they ran it for a few generations. And the Egyptians eventually kicked them out because, and I covered this, to the Egyptians, if you weren't an Egyptian, you weren't going to be an Egyptian, and your children were not going to be Egyptians. And that was their thinking, and that was part of the reason why after 300 years, children of Israel were the other. So continuing on, it started with the, the slavery, and I'm saying 350 years, I'm saying around that because it didn't, it was ratcheted up by that pharaoh, but, but the seeds of that had been sown uh, decades earlier. There was an, sort of an unsettled fear of the children of Israel, particularly as they had multiplied. And continuing in Exodus 1, 15 to 17, then the king of Egypt spoke to the Hebrew midwives, of whom the name of one was Shipra and the name of the other Pua. And he said, when you do the duties of a midwife for the Hebrew women and you see them on the birth stools, if it is a son, you shall kill him. But if it is a daughter, then she shall live. But the midwives feared God and they did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but saved the male children. And the Egyptians, what, they were, what that was, was an attempt at genocide. We call that genocide today. And even though the midwives wouldn't do it, they had Egyptians who would, and that's what happened. And that's the reason why Moses ended up um, in, in a little basket floating down the river. And the children of Israel were in Egypt roughly 300 years to the birth of Moses, 430 years to the Exodus. We know that from Exodus 7, 6, and 7. It says, Then Moses and Aaron did so, just as the Lord commanded them, so they did. And Moses was 80 years old. Aaron was 83 years old when they spoke to Pharaoh. And then in Exodus 12, 40, it says, Now the sojourn of the children of Israel who lived in Egypt was 430 years. And that's where you get the 430 years. And God dealt with Egypt for a few reasons. One of them was how they treated the children of Israel. But Israel had an exodus. They left. They wandered in the wilderness during that time. God gave them the law. And eventually they got their own country. So we're going to look at how in Israel... Israelites were supposed to treat people who were different than them. It's a, good, it's a good question. It's a fair question. And I'm going to deal with a group of people that the Hebrew was gear. Um, and I know that because uh, it says G-E-R and there's this slash over the E. So it's because my knowledge of Hebrew is about the same as my knowledge of Greek. Um, Pastor Joe would be much better in this circumstance, certainly not me. But they did have a word that meant somebody who was a resident alien, somebody from another country who was living among 
um, the Israelites as an extended period, for an extended period of time, they made Israel home. And in Numbers 15, 15 to 16, it says, One ordinance shall be for you of the assembly and for the stranger who dwells with you, an ordinance forever throughout your generations. As you are, so the stranger shall be before the Lord. One law and one custom shall be for you and for the stranger who dwells with you. So people who were living in the country, they kept the Sabbath. Uh, They participated in Passover, I think. They certainly participated in most things. And there were some things that they were prohibited from, and I can't remember now if Passover was one of them or not. Um, But... um, Many of the things they, they were, and except when they were expressly forbidden. And, and many people who lived, that they actually did become converts, full converts to um, uh, the, the religion of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And also, they were not to bring their own gods with them. They were not supposed to take Baal and put it in their backyard. That was part of it. In Deuteronomy 10.19, it says, Therefore, love the stranger, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. In Leviticus 19.34, the stranger who dwells among you shall be to you as one born among you, and you shall love him as yourself, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. So he not only gave them instructions, but reminded them of why it was important. Don't do what the Egyptians did to you. You are different. I've called you to be different. Love them instead. Now, there was a group of people who were short-term visitors, Zarim or Nakrim. They were people who, they weren't bound by some of the same rules that the long-term residents had. Uh, And as a matter of fact, they were prohibited from doing some things at all, simply because they were short-term visitors. Their expectations were not the same. Their requirements were not the same. And they were usually in Israel for trade or business purposes. So that's how things were in Israel. Let's take a look at Colossae. And if you're thinking that must be where Paul wrote the letter of Colossians, you would be correct. You can see there's some purple up there. Not not the words, but purple on the map. I kind of underlined Colossae. It's it's, um, next to Heropolis and Laodicea. And some things about it. It was in modern-day Turkey. Phrygia, not that it was cold, but that's what it was called, Phrygia. Okay, and it was between Ephesus, which is on the coast, and Antioch, which was in the middle of uh, the landmass there. And it was a trade route city, so it had been a rich city until the Romans moved the route to Laodicea. And then it became um, a city that was kind of a backwater, had seen better times. It was a city that... Um, hadn't, was not the same. Fallen on hard times, if you will. But it had Jews in it, a lot of Jews. That's because um, between 241 and 187 B.C., Antiochus III 
he transported 2,000 families from Babylon and Mesopotamia into that region, all around the region. So this, all of these cities, or at least most of them, had a Jewish population. And that's going to be important. Because now we're dealing with the other and the church. Well, we saw Egypt and how they treated the children of Israel. We saw Israel and how they were to treat the stranger. That is, anybody who came in outside, no matter where, into Israel from another country and came to live and came to live among them for an extended period of time. Now we're going to be dealing with uh, a scripture from the Colossians. Colossians 3, uh, 9b to 11. And 9b, that means it's not the entire verse 9, it's just the last part of it. Since you have put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is all and in all. So Paul's dealing with that ethnicity and religion, language and culture, and legal status here. Take a look at ethnicity and religion. You had Greek versus Jew. So Greeks were, could be ethnic Greeks, but they were certainly cultural Greeks. So you could be from different parts of the Roman Empire, and you could be culturally Greek, and there was sort of a, you could get along, because you had a lot in common. And I know it's the Roman Empire, but um, there was still a lot of Greek culture, certainly Greek language in Rome. And when you're talking about the eastern half of the Roman Empire, which is this part that had Turkey and had Greece, that was predominantly Greek over Latin. Latin was used as an administrative language. Greek was really by far more popular. Now, if you go west, it's more Latin than it is Greek. But in the east, it's more Greek than it is Latin. And Greek versus Jew, of course, Greeks were also, in a sense, not Jewish. And the Jewish uh, population, they would have normally kept themselves separate from the non-Jews. And Paul was saying, no, you can't do that. Not in the church. And it didn't matter if you were used to be a Jew and that you were circumcised and you're dealing with people who aren't anymore because that doesn't matter anymore. And going along with language and culture, you had barbarians and Scythians. Well, barbarians were... Well, if a Mediterranean person, Greek, Roman, they were like five four to five six. your average barbarian was Germanic or maybe Celtic, so they were light-skinned, brown hair, maybe blonde hair. They were much sturdier build, and they were anywhere from 5'10 oh, on, on up to, to huge. So I would have been a barbarian back then. I would be a lot scarier looking, probably more muscular, and I'd have a, a, a thick, crazy-looking beard, which if I did grow my beard out, it would be crazy-looking because it just grows out weird. And yes, Scythians, well, if you, who was the most barbarian of the barbarian? 
Scythians. They're from Eastern Europe. They were among the steppe people. Steppes are sort of these long, flat plains. And, and they were horsemen. And they were scary. And they scared normal barbarians. And so, so, yeah, they were the most barbarian. And barbarian, where did that come from? Well, the Greeks thought they said bar, 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 bar. That's how they talked. So it was really making fun about how they speak. That's where they get barbarian from. And slave versus free. Pastor Joe touched on this. In the Roman Empire, 10 to 15% was uh, slaves. And let me just bring down some more information here. You'll see some of this Greek versus the Jews, um, which I did cover. And then uh, for the slaves, overall, during the course of the empire, if you took the empire as a whole, 10 to 15% were slaves. Um, for most of the Roman period, 30 to 40% in Italy were slaves. However, there were points in time when it went up to 50%. The primary cause was military conquest. And slaves had value. You, as a matter of fact, sometimes the soldiers took the slaves. They'd, they'd take a slave and they had a slave that they could use as a servant. Or they would take slaves and they would sell them off. And they'd get income that way. So they were also a cash source. So a lot of the slaves were conquered people. And then some were, well, bankrupt people because they didn't have bankruptcy laws. So if you went bankrupt, you were a slave and probably your wife and probably your children. And then lastly, piracy and with that kidnapping was a way some people became slaves. The Roman Empire frowned on it. They actually tried to eliminate it and oftentimes succeeded, but there were always people who wanted to um, break the law, and, and, and they would go on these sort of raiding parties, and they would, they would steal gold, and they'd steal people. But one way to look at this, and I'm going to flip it, okay? Because sometimes to look at the situation is to see it backwards and see how backwards doesn't really work. So imagine that Paul wrote instead, he said, okay, Colossians, I know you have a lot of different people. I'm going to help you out here, okay? Jews, you know who you are. I'm a Jew. You stick together anyway, so do what you normally do, okay? And, 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 and yeah, and, and the men, yeah, you're all circumcised, and so you, you, you should know right away um, who's Jewish and not. And if there's somebody that you're talking to, they're not sure, it's better than a secret handshake. So, Paul was saying, Greeks, yeah, I know you come from different parts of the country, but you all like the same stuff. So, you're going to be together in one group, and you didn't really care about the Jews anyway, so you're going to be okay with that. And that leaves the barbarians. Barbarians, I'm sorry. And you're going to say, well, some of us are Celt and some of us are Germanic. You're going to have to make your own group. Make the best of it. And you're going to have to take the Scythians. Sorry. Somebody's got to take them. They're certainly not going to go to the Greeks. 
It's the best way. You're going to have to trust me on that because you really don't want to mix together. And you don't want the kids mixing together because the next thing you know, you're going to have a Scythian guy and then the Greek girl, and they're going to go to the parents and say, can you fix us up to get married? And we don't want any of that. Can you see how that might not work? That's not what God wanted for the church. He wanted for the church people coming in from different backgrounds, different cultures, and being united in Jesus Christ. So, I tried to be funny, by the way. It didn't work. I'll keep trying, but I don't know. It still may not work, but that's okay. But if I do hear a laugh, I'll be happy about it. Okay. We're going to go to a little American history. Frederick Douglass is an important, some of you. How many of you have heard of Frederick Douglass? Okay. He was the poster guy of the abolitionist movement. He was born in 1818, and he escaped in 1838. He was was in Maryland, which was a slave state. Uh, There were some um, slave owners and some children who taught him how to read until they realized that they weren't supposed to because it was illegal, because they weren't slaves in the United States, um, other than the fact that... um, Slaves got here from being kidnapped. Um, that they, um, once they were here, they weren't taught. They, it was against the law for them to learn to read and write. But he did. They got some people got him started, and then he picked up with it. And he did a lot of reading himself. He got good at it, and it helped him to escape. And it helped him later on as he became a very well-read and articulate voice in the abolitionist movement. So much so that. Uh, before the Civil War, he traveled around giving speeches. And you can see here some of the things that he wrote. It says, were I to be again reduced to the chains of slavery, next to that enslavement, I should regard being a slave of a religious master the greatest calamity that could befall me. For all slave home, slaveholders whom I have ever met, religious slaveholders are the worst. I have ever found them the meanest and basest, the most cruel and cowardly of all others. And he also said, I love the pure, peaceable, and impartial Christianity of Christ. I therefore hate the corrupt, slaveholding, women whipping, cradle plundering, partial and hypocritical Christianity of this land. Indeed, I can see no reason but the most deceitful one for calling the religion of this land Christianity, I look upon it as the climax of all misnomers, the boldest of all frauds, and the grossest of all libel. And I'm sure that if he was speaking those words, it would be way cooler than, than the way I just said it, because he was apparently a great, great speaker. And he was a Christian. And he struggled with it because he understood and believed the scripture that he needed to love his fellow man and he needed to forgive. But at the same time, uh, he, he did, but he countered that by just saying as a whole, he pointed out slavery in the United States for the sin that it was. By the way, and I put it up here because it is important, Exodus 21, 16, he who kidnaps a man and sells him or if he's found in his hand, shall surely be put to death. So we know 
that the kidnapping of people for the purpose of slavery was prohibited, prohibited by Scripture in very strong words, and yet it happened. And the Christians who lived in the South, how do I put it? It followed heretical teaching, followed wrong teaching about this. And, and I say that as an evangelical because some of those people in the South would have been considered evangelicals. So I can trace my history back to them. I was raised in an evangelical church. For some of you, maybe Calvary Chapel is your first church experience. I'm well aware of a history of racism that has existed in parts of the evangelical church. Not in other parts, not in this church, by the way. And I've been here for over 10 years. It doesn't exist here, and I am thankful to God for that. So I'm not talking about this to kind of correct something that's in our church that's not the issue. It's, it's rather, um, you might be asked about it. You might be accused of it. The information I'm giving out here is freely available on the internet and, and freely accurately, not being twisted. So you may be asked about, well, you're evangelical. Does that make you a racist? No, it doesn't. And here's why. Well, what about slavery? Well, slavery, that was, that was false teaching. That was being used by people to justify something that they couldn't otherwise justify. Okay. So I'm going to give you, this is, the, this is the point that you brace yourself, okay? Yeah. That picture is from between 90, 95 to 100 years ago. It's in Oregon. And um, I'm going to read this here. The image shows a photograph from the early 1920s probably in Portland, in which robed and hooded Ku Klux Klan members share the stage with members of the Royal Riders of the Red Robe, a Klan auxiliary for foreign-born white Protestants. The Klan philosophy, at least of that time, was 100% Americanism and it rested on uh, white supremacy, adherence to uh, Protestant or at least not Catholic Christianity, and the superiority of native-born Americans to people who were naturalized, even if they were um, white Europeans. And that's in a church that's evangelical. I can't imagine any other church that would have a sign that says Jesus saves, so big like that. And it wasn't even in the South, it was in Oregon. And it, it, for me, this has been hard because some, some of you know, some of you don't. I, I was married once before, before I was married to Sue, and um, I have a daughter from that marriage, and, and her name's Amber. Her mother's African-American, and um, so this is something that's uh, near to my heart and, and hurts my heart. Um, and, and my daughter, and I'm not good, um, my daughter goes to the University of Virginia Law School in Charlottesville. She was not at the demonstrations, and I'm not going to speak about the demonstrations because Pastor Joe did, um, except to provide, uh, there's a context here. Some of the people who demonstrated there, they, they, um, they have this belief still, it still lives on. This herit, this, they'll consider, they consider themselves to be Christian, and maybe some of them are, but they've believe a false teaching that we need to speak out against with um, the correct teaching from the word of God. And I asked Amber um, 
just about the demonstrations, I said, well, is there a big something, what's the most important thing there? Because she, while she wasn't there, she had friends who were, and, and um, as you can imagine, it sort of affects her personally. And she said, well, the group that came in, they took the issue, which was about statues, um, Confederate statues, and I'm not going to be talking about that either, but they, they used that issue as a launching pad to promote their beliefs. That's what it was for. Some of those beliefs track back to that um, people like the Klan there. So you may have the uncomfortable opportunity to um, correct somebody in love, in love, who says, suggests that, that scripture um, teaches in separation, teaches separation of race, that uh, scripture teaches that one ethnic group is, is, is more important or better than another, okay? Because it doesn't. It teaches the opposite. And um, I would probably have to stop myself and say, okay, truth and love, truth and love, truth and love, before I spoke at this point. When I was younger, and I heard stuff, I heard stuff in evangelical churches, I, kinda, I was a younger guy, I kept my mouth shut because at that point, if I had opened it, I would have said something stupid. So I, and I still don't want to say things that are stupid because I still have that capacity, but I'm a little older, I'm a lot older, and, and, and I, I think I'm a little further along that uh, if it was appropriate that I would speak the, tr the truth in love hopefully to somebody who could hear it. And if not, then maybe they'd reflect on it later on. But there's another kind of other, and it's the most true of the others that I'm going to be talking about because it's us. First Peter, chapter 2, 9 to 12. And he's talking about us. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who were not a people but now are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy but now have obtained mercy. I, beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts that war against your soul, having your conduct honorable among Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may, by your good works, which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. And when we see, like in, in verse 11, when it says fleshly lust, we, we usually go to certain vices or certain things, you know, behaviors. But it includes, for example, say somebody says something racist and they happen to be a Christian and I fly off the handle and I yell at them. And I, or I forcefully give them the scripture and, and to straighten them out. That's not what I'm supposed to do. It's not what you're supposed to do. We're supposed to speak the truth in love. We're supposed to be kind. We're supposed to conduct ourselves in such a way that it doesn't ruin the words that we speak out of God's word. Okay? Whether it's in person or, more importantly, online. And online to people that we may not even know. 
or maybe just know because they're a friend of a friend and we know them on Facebook and we happen to be commenting on the same thread. Because I, I think that that's, for me anyway, uh, the primary way I could get myself in trouble is by you know, commenting on something uh, on the internet because I'm not in front of those people. So, and, it, and if you feel like that's the same way, well, then, then we're all in the same big boat, okay? But we're called, we are called to proclaim. We're called to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ to a generation that needs to hear it. We are to proclaim the truth of scripture. If somebody comes up to us and says, oh, you're an evangelical, you're racist, here's why. Maybe you don't have the answers, but you want to be able to go back and say, you know, I want to give you a better answer than I can have in my head right now. Can I do that? And then go back, check out what the scripture says, and go back and say, you know, maybe it's in the Civil War. There were Christians on both sides of the issue. Some of them um, spoke the truth of God's word. Others did not. And, and, and we identify with the truth of God's word. If it's something that happened in the evangelical churches in, in the past, um, there were people still, generation upon generation, it was hard for them to, 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 to work that out. And, and, um, but there are still Christians, generation by generation, who are speaking the truth of God's word. We need to be part of that group. And we need to do it in gentleness and love. Pastor Joe, um, he posted it on the Facebook page. He spoke about it in the pulpit, about the story of um, the black guy that went in and preached Christ to the uh, Klan guy, right? Anybody remember that? Okay. What happened to the Klan guy? Anybody? Go ahead. Don't be shy. Yes. Born again. That's what we need to do. And that's how we need to bring the message to the world, not in anger, not in self-righteousness, but in, in love. And I have to remind myself that, that all the time because I have a daughter who's in the middle of it, and uh, I have a granddaughter because Amber has a daughter. So I'm invested in it. And uh, I want to be a good testimony to the people I speak to. I want to be a good testimony to her, but I believe that by following the word of God and speaking the word of God in love, I can, I can accomplish both goals. And I think that we all can. So as a church, we should keep doing what we're doing because we're doing it right. And we should continue to grow on that, as we should in other areas too. It's just not one area, but um, that we can confound people who have preconceived conceptions about us um, when they actually see uh, actions and conduct that are consistent with God's word. So that's my um, call to action to you and to me. And um, it's not an easy thing. Second Timothy 3.12, Paul wrote to Timothy. He said, yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Well, we, we don't really do that now, most of us. I mean, somebody might say something mean to us. You get some people who do, who are persecuted, okay. But around the world, different story. As you know, as you've heard from various people, including Pastor Joe and, and the other pastors and elders, um, according to the United States De Department of State, 
Christians in more than 60 countries face persecutions from their government or their neighbors because of their belief in Jesus. And I found this graphic. Even if you took the numbers and cut them in half, there aren't good numbers, are they? 322 killed a month. 214 churches and properties. Properties could be schools or orphanages or hospitals destroyed. 772 forms of various kinds of violence committed against Christians. Okay. Now, certainly, we want um, to see, you know, certainly Christians not be persecuted, but um, there's no reason for anybody to be persecuted for their beliefs in this way. And certainly, we would. I, I hope, I believe that we would all stand for that. But you know, in house, among other Christians, this is something that we need to pray about. These are people who are being martyred for their faith. Sometimes, they are heroes to us, and um, they're on the front lines in a way that most of us will never be able to imagine. So, what can we do? Well, we can pray for the persecuted church. Know what Scripture teaches about how to treat others and follow it. If, if there's something you feel you don't understand well enough, um, spend a little time with it. Um, there are various people, pastors, elders, me, uh, to point out some things to read. Um, and be able to answer from Scripture, or at least be able to look it up later. You don't necessarily have to have the answer at your fingertips. Have an attitude of patience and love towards those who question or make accusation particularly the latter, because often when people are making an accusation, they're not being nice about it. Yet we need to be nice back to them, right? So that's what I had to say about the subject. Um, it, it was hard for me to study for it. If it's been hard for you to listen to it, that's good, um, because we're in the same boat. Let's pray. You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfield. We're located at 15 Half Acre Road in Jamesburg, New Jersey. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. and Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays we have children's church for all ages in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfield's by going to cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening, and may God bless you.